watch for regulation changes. They are coming and they're going to affect your business. That being said, I wouldn't worry about it too much. So long as you're on top of it and you realize that everyone's going to be playing in the same field, it won't be too bad. You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of Infutor's Identity Revolution podcast. We've received several requests for some conversations with players in the healthcare space. So today we brought in a very special guest, Derek Rucker, co-founder of Carrot Health, former head geek and chief data scientist, currently executive in residence with Techstars Healthcare Accelerator. Derek, it's so fantastic to have you today. And please tell the audience that the head geek title was not my I didn't come up with that. That was actually your That's title. entirely true. That is a legitimate title that I gave myself. The, part of the fun of, of being a co-founder of a startup is that you get to choose your own titles. So um, <laughs> I figured that, you know, they, they couldn't pay me much, but at least I could have some fun with that. Sounds good. Yeah, I didn't want anybody in the audience to think I was uh, throwing shade at our guests. So it's a fantastic title. I love it. And I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Because some of the stuff that you and the team at Care did have done in the healthcare space is really exciting and interesting, and I think it's going to be a great listen for our audience. So, to get started, why don't we give the audience uh, a little bit of background on yourself and what you're up to right now? All right. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a co-founder of Care Health. Recently got acquired by Unite US, and so I guess you could say at this point I am between jobs. Although I am, I'm looking to probably do another startup. I'm also executive in residence with Techstars, and I'm doing some pro bono app development work for a museum in my hometown. In my spare time, I'm getting my private pilot's license, learning blacksmithing, and trying to stay out of trouble mostly. Before Carrot Health, I worked at Seagate for 15 years in a variety of roles, finishing up as a principal engineering data scientist. Fantastic. So could you give us a little bit of background? What in your background specifically has helped you drive the success that you've had in your career, especially when you were you know, growing up? Was there anything that specifically really helped you to achieve what you have? I won't go uh, far enough back to get into the growing up part, but I will say that I was a data scientist before data science was a thing. If you look at my resume, you won't actually find any degrees that say data science on there. The reason for that is that I learned data science as a tool to be able to get my PhD in material science and engineering back before data science was being taught as a separate discipline. So despite the fact that I don't actually have a data science credentials, given the fact that I have started a successful startup in data science and managed to get to a nine-figure exit, I'm going to say that it's hard to say that I'm not a data scientist at this point, though. Those are pretty good qualifications, no doubt. What are the most disruptive shifts that you've seen in the data, data and analytics space right now? Really, there's two that I see going on at the moment. First and foremost is really the democratization of data science. Pretty much anyone with fairly basic programming expertise now has uh, the opportunity through open source libraries and publicly available tools to get in and start doing some pretty hardcore data science. This is incredibly awesome and allows so many more eyes on good data sets. Now, the downside is that 
it also creates a whole lot more bad analyses because anyone can jump in and until you really know what you're doing, it's quite possible to make some bad assumptions. So you have to be a little bit circumspect there. But all in all, I think that it's really a net positive just having so many more people be aware of data science and trying to do it, even if they start out not necessarily doing it well. Secondly, I would say that the awareness and very much heightened public awareness of the inherent bias in data. There is no such thing as unbiased. It's every single data set is biased. It's a thing. And that's not necessarily a problem, but it's something that people need to be aware of and need to be taking into account when they're using it to predict the future. You can only use a data set in a manner that is representative of how it was collected and expect to get good results. If you're looking to use it and, and move in a completely different direction, you're going to have to be a little creative. And that's something that people are starting to realize now, especially with, with sort of an equity, race-based, identity-based analyses, saying, look, we don't want the past, we don't want the future to look like the past. So we have to be very careful about how we use data sets that were created in the past that would then project forward to a future that looks exactly the same, which isn't necessarily what we want. Interesting. I'd like to get a little bit into your time at Carrot. Obviously, you're a co-founder of that company and had a very successful exit. What was it that you tried to do at Carrot to bring to the healthcare space? Obviously, there's been massive changes over the last decade in healthcare and how it's funded and, and how people are you know, paying for healthcare. Love to talk a little bit about your founding of, of Carrot and what did you bring that was specific and unique to that space? Well, I appreciate the question. And to be honest, I'll just say that there was really very little specifically and completely unique that Carrot brought to healthcare. What we brought is an approach to healthcare I hadn't seen before. It was being used already in retail. Most of the models that we applied had been created elsewhere, but we were taking these different approaches that had been used in various other fields and starting to apply them to healthcare data in the healthcare space. And if you look at startups across the board, oftentimes it isn't necessarily new tech or even new algorithms or, or new invention. It's taking something that was been done elsewhere and putting a different spin on it and using it in a different way. And that's really what Carrot was doing. So we were looking at social determinants of health and how the basket of lifestyle choices that people have, that they carry around with them all the time, really affects their future health states. And if you're trying to predict where someone's health is going to be in one year, five years, 10 years, you're going to have a much better chance of doing that from looking at the holistic picture of how they live their life than the 2.5 on average interactions they're going to have with a physician that get recorded in an electronic medical record, right? There's not much data there. I mean, you get two points in a year, you can draw a straight line, nothing much has changed, this person's going to live forever. Well, you and I know that's not going to be happening. So how can you get more information? Well, you look at the rest of their life. Do they have pets? Are they happily married? Are they socially isolated? Do they have transportation insecurity, food insecurity? What are their organizations and involvement in their community? 
All these different things are part of the sort of digital exhaust that all of us give off just living our lives. And it has an incredible predictive power on healthcare. And most importantly, you can use it to start intervening and understanding what causes and what affects some of those healthcare states and really drive some intervention. Now, that being said, it's hard. It's very, very hard to get people to change those lifestyle choices. But the impact is so great that if you can get 1% of people who are likely to be diabetic to get off their butt, get in there and start working out and change their dietary habits, you have saved tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for your insurer. Not to mention the fact that you have given them decades of extra life and a far better quality of life than they would have had before. Over time, I hope that we'll get better at being able to make those interventions. But even where we are right now, it, it's still so incredibly valuable. I'd love to go back to a comment you made earlier. Can you give us a specific example of how did you say it? You brought data analysis techniques from other industries to the healthcare space. Could you give me a specific example of those other verticals or industries and how did you actually take what was being practiced in those industries to the healthcare space? Well, certainly. My co-founder, Kurt Waltenbaugh, used to work at Retech and worked with a lot of different retail companies. For example, say Target, who does a great amount of work in trying to understand how your shopping basket affects, so I guess more accurately, who you are, how that affects your shopping basket, and what else you can be so, you know, advertised to potentially purchase based on what you have purchased already. Well, okay, that's retail, but what about healthcare? How about looking at what sort of characteristics of a healthcare plan would you most interested in having? What would actually get you to buy a different plan? What would actually get you to engage with some of these behavior altering initiatives? You know, how can you actually get that movement? And as I said before, Retail's been doing that for years. You get very custom printed coupons on every receipt that you get from Target. But healthcare has been honestly 20, possibly 30 years behind in terms of using data. And really, I'd say that they're still probably 15 years behind retail in terms of what they can do and what the opportunities are. But there's a lot of good reasons for that right? The data is radioactively dangerous in healthcare, where you, know, you see you know, Target had a breach and everyone went, oh, that's really bad. When healthcare companies have breaches, the potential financial impact, if the regulators decide to actually implement, is something like $20,000 per record. For reference, Carrot Health has hundreds of thousands of records. It gets kind of pricey pretty quick. Yeah. So there was this fear of, of working with that data, of aggregating it, of putting it all in one place just because of the, the danger. And I will say that Carrot Health was built from the foundation, from the ground up around security because mm -hmm. we couldn't ever afford to have a leak. Yeah, that makes sense. Where do you foresee this space going specifically to healthcare space, uh, the health insurance space in the next 10 years, 20 years? Considering all the change that we've had in the last decade, it, I, I don't expect that to, to lessen, do you? No, no, I definitely don't. I think what you're going to see, and I'm certain I'm not the only one that's, that's saying this, but 
accountable care is where it's at. Medicare, especially Medicare Advantage, has been, by and large, a pretty phenomenal success, which is pay for health, by and large. People, companies are being paid a certain set amount of money for Medicare Advantage participants. And if those participants are, those patients are healthy, the companies get to keep the money. Mm-hmm. But if those participants and patients require a lot of care, then they can go negative. Well, this has required a complete mindset shift in insurance companies, but they're starting to really get it. And once they get it, they like it. And now it does start to get into a space where they're having to look further ahead. They're having to do a little bit more prediction, but it's very profitable. In fact, it's so profitable that oftentimes Medicare Advantage companies are having to send back checks because they're you know, getting past that cost ratio limit imposed by the government. So what we're going to see is more accountable care. We're going to see it younger, not to parrot Bernie Sanders, but you're going to see a variation of Medicare moving into the workspace. It won't be called Medicare, most likely. It'll be accountable care. But this is actually going to be a good thing because finally, the patient's interests are going to be aligned with the insurance company's interests. And that is everybody wants you to stay healthy and out of the hospital. Hmm. Great overview. I'd like to go back a little bit to, unfortunately, while I was actually visiting your offices on Mar- in the first week of March of 2020 in Minnesota. And then wow. also, that also the timing there. Yeah, exactly. And it was, I think it was March 4th, the exact date. And I remember going to the airport and I was surprised how empty it was and visited with the Minnesota Vikings and talked about two industries that were impacted by COVID. Love to get your comments on how COVID specifically has affected your business. And do you feel these changes will have lasting ramifications? Interesting question. COVID has affected us less than many other industries. I mean, to some extent, you know, healthcare is a little bit insensitive, right? I mean, if people need urgent healthcare, they're, they're going to need it, whether there's a pandemic going on or not. Now, that being said, a lot of, um, a lot of optional, I guess, or uh, elective type procedures went on hold. The first year of COVID was kind of a, a gangbusters year for insurance for the very simple reason that all these elective surgeries, elective uh, procedures went on hold and got pushed out. Now, they knew just as well as everyone knew that that was not good nor sustainable. But from a balance sheet standpoint, it looked quite good. And it meant that Carrot, as a vendor and supplier into that space, was able to you know, continue to sales and, and work our pipeline because there was still money to be had. Hmm. I think that's settling down a bit now and things are, are coming back to normal. But yeah, I mean, COVID wasn't horrible for our industry. Now, the provider side, it was brutal. It was absolutely horribly brutal. And we will have a mental health disaster for healthcare providers for decades as a result of COVID. But from the payer standpoint, not so bad. Interesting. Great answers. I'd like to go back to the data and technology side a little bit, talk about what changes do you see, improvements that you see as we're well into 2021, but and beyond. Where do you foresee this space specifically going? And love your comments on AI, if you don't mind too. Oh, sure. 
Well, I guess first and foremost, uh, watch for regulation changes. They are coming and they're going to affect your business. That being said, I wouldn't worry about it too much. So long as you're on top of it and you realize that everyone's going to be playing in the same field, it won't be too bad. Clearly, the level of predictive power for your models will go down if you can't use certain types of data. But I think that's just something that you need to be aware of, watch for, and then execute to, and realize that you know, as painful as it is, everyone else is in the same boat, and it's not going to destroy the industry, even if perhaps your results won't be as good as they used to be. Neither will anyone else's. So that's certainly one. Another thing you might want to consider is your processing power. A lot of the really high power techniques in neural networks these days love GPUs. Yeah, well, if you've tried to buy a graphics card recently, you'll realize that those uh, crypto miners are buying up all the GPUs and they're really hard to come by. And when you find them, they're expensive, which means that data scientists, at least ones who are trying to do it at a relatively cost-effective manner, are using different hardware. And it, strangely enough, the availability of those processing units is affecting your choice of models sometimes. Interesting. Let's see. Also, then, the, the last bit is the continued explosion of, of tools and platforms for data science, both paid and open source. One thing I will tell anyone that's listening to this, before you go out and build your own, do a really good search. Chances are someone's already built it. Do you have any idea how many times I have created something, I've been really proud of myself, and then realized like a week or two later that someone has already done it and usually better than I did? Don't create your own tools anymore. There's so many out there for your use. Great piece of advice. Great piece of advice. Well, I want to go back to your comments on, on, on privacy. You know, I see it with my teenage daughter, and, and it just seems like privacy isn't as important to the, the younger generation, the, those in their teens and collegiate age. Do you feel that this is going to change as they get older, or do you sense that, I agree with you, there are going to be regulations, but I also see definitely a less concern about privacy from my generation X and the baby boomers. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that there seems to be a cultural change where privacy isn't as much of a worry. I mean, to some extent, you and I, and, and certainly our kids have been brought up in a world where you know, we can be found online. I mean, someone can find my, uh, my personal website that I created in grad school online. I think it's still there, horribly out of date. But it's still there, right? Nothing ever dies in the internet, and we just know that. And so we're kind of used to it. And I think the other thing is that we're kind of relying on security by obscurity. There is so much out there that it is very, very difficult to target in on any one individual. And while you can do it, if you have the resources of a nation state, a single person takes a bit of work to really pull in uh, all of that information. And it takes a lot of dedication. I suppose you can say that there are stalkers with that kind of dedication. You probably wouldn't be wrong. But I would say that generally, by and large, people aren't as worried about it, and to some extent, for good reason. Let's talk a little bit about the resources that you use on a daily basis. What are your favorite online resources for our audience that keeps you up to speed about what's happening in your space. I'd love to get some of your advice on where to go for that information. I really have two places that I go on a regular basis. For new and cool stuff, I love looking at Kaggle. 
they host data analytics competitions. And the best part is that to be able to claim your prize, you have to disclose what you did. And so you get to see what the best and the brightest are using out there. And then you go steal their ideas. For dealing with more mundane, how can I get this darn neural network to function? Stack Overflow is your friend. There's just great information there. And as long as you're willing to, to look like a noob, even if you aren't, uh, just ask the question and you'll get an answer. I think that between those two, you should be able to implement almost anything that you're looking to do. Derek, as a successful entrepreneur, obviously you did some great things with founding Carrot and, and had a fantastic exit there. What advice would you give to anyone else who's considering a startup and, and building it up and hopefully getting a successful ending to that endeavor that you build? Oh, goodness. It will take longer than you think it will. That's certainly the, the starting. The other is that the biggest challenge and risk that you're going to face is not going to be technological. It's going to be people. It's going to be emotions, egos, and interpersonal relationships, be it within your founding team, with your employees, or with your customers. But that's where startups fail. And I would far rather have a good team, a good humble team, intelligent, capable, but bad tech and bad business idea than great technology, brilliant business plan, and an, an arrogant ego-driven team. Because the first one will find a way to pivot and to meet the market where it needs to be. And the second one will drive the market away, even if they were there to begin with. Hmm. Great comments. And finally, your advice to anyone who's entering, what advice do you have as for youngsters out there who might be listening to this podcast in terms of becoming successful in the business world? In the business world or the advanced world? Or both? Let's say data science world first, and then we'll get in business specifically. Data science world, I would say get in there and start doing it. Join a Kaggle competition and fail utterly. I don't care. You will learn so much. Just do it. Get a data set and start trying to predict the future. And you'll make mistakes and your first few iterations will be bad and you'll get better and you'll learn. There is no, no substitute for just doing it, which is actually you know, kind of leads into some of the best data scientists I know haven't been classically trained. They've taught themselves. Mm -hmm. There's just no substitute for getting in there and, and experience. And the experience doesn't have to be through a company or, or through employment. It can just be having fun on Kaggle, but you got to do it. In business, I mean, from a startup standpoint, I guess the one thing I would tell everyone is that you really got to be good at acting because if you're going to be selling an idea, and that's really all any startup is, selling an idea that hasn't happened yet, you need to have a good pitch. You need to be compelling. You need to look good. And it doesn't matter if the idea is good, if it doesn't sound good coming out of your mouth. Whether you like acting or not, you are, the moment you become an entrepreneur, you are an actor. And you need to, you need to view every single pitch like it's, you're getting up there on stage. Fantastic advice. Derek, I can't thank you enough for your time today. 
Sure. Really enjoyed this conversation. I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm really looking forward to following your career. I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we'll have you on again in a few more years to talk about your next endeavor. Sounds like a plan. Really looking forward to, to seeing where you go. Derek, thank you so much for your time and have a good time. Where can people find you? Where can people learn more about you and follow your career? Well, I can be found on LinkedIn, Derek Rucker, no space, or on Twitter, Derek underscore Rucker. I had really been thinking I would probably have made those two like the same, but clearly I wasn't. Great. Well, thank you so much, Derek. Have a fantastic end of the quarter and uh, fantastic as we head into Q4 to see what's up next on your path. Thanks, Fred. This has been fun. Have a great day. You too. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.